and welcome to the Mission Control Podcast. I'm Liana Downey and I'm here with Alison Sesso, the Executive Director of the Human Services Council. Alison, would you like to tell me a little bit about the Human Services Council? Sure. Thanks for having me on the show today. The Human Services Council is a membership association of about 170 and growing nonprofit human service providers that primarily get the bulk of their funding through government contracts and government sources, Medicaid funding as well. So we represent them to government. That's who we are. Tell me, how did you get involved? What was your path to the Human Services Council and your role here? So I've actually been here for a long time. I've been the, uh, with the Human Services Council for uh, 12 years. So I've been here kind of growing up here in a little bit of a way. I always sort of wanted to see communities get what they need. And I really wanted to look at it from a macro level. I really appreciate what social workers do and people that are working in communities themselves. But I felt like I needed to work on more of a macro level and help get resources to those people that are doing that good work. And so I saw the work at the Human Services Council. I've always been very interested in women's issues in particular. I definitely see human services as women's issues, given Mm. that they're the bulk of the people doing the work. And they're also the bulk of the people receiving a lot of these services. And so when I had the opportunity to interview at the Human Services Council, I was came in as a policy analyst, and I've worked my way up through the ranks, and now I'm happy to be the executive director. Yeah, well, that's, that's an interesting story. And you um, talk a little bit about, for those people who are not necessarily familiar with what's in and what's out with human services, what are, what's the sort of the boundary? How do you define what a human service is? Yeah, that's a, it's a challenge. It's uh, not a consistent, I think, definition, depending on who you ask. Uh, government budgets put them one in one category, and they sort of often separate out Medicaid services, for example. Mm-hmm. I think the way we define it is anything that's really meeting a human need. And I know that's somewhat simple. I mean, there's other types of human needs, but things that don't sort of fall in the, in the categories or buckets of education and health care mm-hmm. that otherwise use human needs. And so it's anything from domestic violence services, to after-school programs, to child care services, to when you're uh, getting services in your home as, a, as an elderly person or you're going to a senior center. So it's really things that hit you throughout the life cycle and help you make sure that you're maintaining well-being throughout your life. And that can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, as head of the Human Services Council, have recently spearheaded a really big investigation in New York into the human services sector more broadly. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so unfortunately, about a year ago, a major institution, a $250 million organization by the name of FEGS, suddenly collapsed and went into bankruptcy, and it was a big shock to the community. There had been other closings, and there have since been other closings of nonprofits, but I think the sheer size of this one really mm-hmm. shocked and put created waves throughout the sector of fear at for boards of directors, leadership, people that work within the, the human services um, programs. So we took a moment to step back and, and try to understand why this happened. And so we created a commission to take a look at that. And we wanted to understand what is the fiscal environment that's adding to the downfall and financial troubles. Was this just a one-off or was it really a systematic problem? You know, was this management that was just failures that made this happen or yeah. was it other things? Yeah. And what, what did you conclude? What were the factors at stake? So it was a combination of both. Nobody is giving the management of the organization, you know, a pass and saying they they managed well. I think the realities are, though, that we're not, the environment is a difficult one to manage in. And there are clearly a number of human services um, organizations, 18% are insolvent. Wow. Very high. 
60% have cash flow problems. So yeah. we're, we're facing some serious issues. And what we found basically is that it's not about the size, but about the margins. Uh, so the thinning of the margins is really the problem. And a lot of that is the result, of, it's driven by government policy. The bulk of the nonprofits are getting their, their money from like 95% of their dollars are coming from government sources. And those mm. government sources are paying 80 cents on the dollar when you use the term margins, because in a way that's something we often associate with the business world, and I think it's a really important way of thinking about your services. Did, did you find that the sector is used to thinking in those terms, that we, if we're providing services we have to have more than cost coverage so we can run our operations? Or is that something that you introduced through this process? What's the kind of confidence with that idea, the concept of a margin? I think that there's so, there's probably a variety of approaches in the human services sector. I mean, there's such a, it's such a vast sector. I mean, there's so many different organizations. I mean, there's 170 within my network, but that's not everybody either. Uh, That happens to be some of the larger um, organizations out there that, again, get the bulk of their funding from government sources. it's, I think it's a hard question to ask. What we're trying to encourage is more nonprofits to think in terms of risk management, and mm-hmm. so that includes being paying attention to the margins. But frankly, the environment really isn't set up so that they have the opportunity to really bulk up their margins. Yeah. You really have to make some hard decisions, and the, the philanthropic dollars to fill in the gaps are just not there. They don't exist. As one person described it, the philanthropic dollars are like a flea on the back of an elephant um, in terms of the amount of, of dollars available. And that was a philanthropist that described it that way. Yes, yeah. So I don't think people get that government is the mo- main driver of the dollars that go into human services, and I think that's a marketing failure on our part, the human services sector. That's interesting. And I, I have to say, you know, I've worked in the human services sector in Australia and in the U.S., and one of the things that I've seen almost regardless of where you're sitting, I've seen people in the government sector say, well, look, what we need to do is we just need to get, you know, these kind of corporate dollars and philanthropists to the table and that'll kind of make everything okay. And then I've heard the reverse. You know, I've sat in the philanthropist corner, we just need to get government dollars. And there's, it's almost that kind of mutual finger pointing in the other directions and a lack of understanding about the kind of total finite pie of available dollars and how far that's being stretched. Yeah, I think what's happening in some ways is that the programs, and they're covered both by philanthropists and by the government sources, are only really looking at the cost of running the program itself. And so the overhead rates are being left out of the equation. And so the entity itself, the, the nonprofit that's providing that service, has very limited ability to find dollars to invest in things like HR you know, or or technology systems that help them really understand what they're doing and where their dollars are going and whether or not they're actually measuring good outcomes and things like that. And so there's no ability to invest in the entity itself. I find a lot of nonprofits even have a hard time finding money to fix a leaky roof. Yeah. Do you think that in a way the term overhead is sort of part of the problem? Because it, 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 it sort of has a ring of superfluousness. Right. But in fact, the things that you're describing are absolutely fundamental to an organization's ability to 
provide services, but also to be efficient in the provision of those services. You know, technology especially, if you don't invest in technology, then your services become more expensive over time where they might not need to. Right. I mean, I think that's the great irony too because you're talking, you know, everyone talks about how these nonprofits are taking government dollars and how they should be good stewards of, of public dollars. But if you don't have these systems in place, your ability to do that is is pretty nil, right? Yeah, I that's mean, that's, right. That's, and that's the scary part. Um, yeah, so I, I agree. I think that overhead is a problematic term and that we need to see these costs as part of the program costs. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when, you know, I have the history of kind of coming from way back when in the corporate world and I think that, you know, people describe those things in terms of research and development or investment and and they are sometimes big investment decisions but they're made because the idea is that they're going to either improve the organisation's ability to deliver the goods and services that they provide, or because it's going to take costs down. And I think that's the missing piece, that we, we've ended up in a situation where we, if you've got systematic underinvestment, you end up with people who are kind of running their operations on, as we would say, you know, sort of the small yeah, they, rag. Yeah, they, they really don't have the... This is what one of the main, main findings, is that they don't have the ability to spend the time to think ahead and to strategically plan and manage risk. And so they're sort of living as, you know, I say that they mirror their clients more and more. So they're living kind of payroll to payroll or paycheck to paycheck. And so they're getting through the next month and trying to make ends meet. And one event can catastrophically bring them down as opposed to being able to think strategically and have the resources, time, um, and expertise on staff to to say, okay, what is the, if we take this government contract on, what is it going to mean five years from now for us? Yep. And if you're not able to make those decisions, then you really just are doing what what you can one one month to month. And so, do you think when you look at the FEGS example, and then you also look at the other organisations have closed since and and leading mm-hmm. up to that, was it that case of a big risk that sort of wasn't? planned for? Is that the common thread? You know, I think that, that there's many factors that? together that, that took these uh, organizations down. Uh, it's hard It's hard to put plan, pin it on one thing for any of them, and I don't think it's one common thing. I would say that the overall theme is that we are not making, making it easy, and as a nonprofit, you have a responsibility to understand the realities of this very risky environment and mm-hmm. to manage appropriately. Yeah. And so I'm not making excuses at all for the nonprofits that exist that are working in this environment. They have to understand that it is a very high-risk environment, and regardless of whether or not we're making it easy for them, they need to manage risk. Yeah, so that sounds like the kind of the key recommendation for nonprofit organizations in this space is your board's your yes. top team have to be thinking about risk and you have to be it has to be on your agenda that's correct and yeah. you, and you re, the main thing you have to really manage is uh, assessing each contract that you're about to enter into with government and figuring it doesn't mean that you don't take a contract that is high risk it means that you do it with your eyes open and that you understand how you're going to be able to take a contract that's not covering your full costs yeah so Alison you know that I kind of I, I have a a bit of a bee in my bonnet about <laughs> organizations really focusing their efforts and energy. It's a good bee to have right? in your bonnet, yeah. <laughs> in the kind of what I call a sweet spot, right? At the intersection between what they what they believe is really going to work to make a difference for their clients and what they're actually good at. So I'm interested to hear, because I think what you're talking about in some of that, the, the question about taking on contracts, I see organizations taking on contracts that they shouldn't take on mm-hmm. because they need the money. Right. And so they sort of add on services that they're neither really equipped to deliver 
and then they end up trying to build capacity around that, and that, nor that they really believe are the most, you know, the best use of their resources. Um, so what is your take, again, and we'll come back to kind of recommendations for government, mm-hmm. but your take on how do you think the sector can and should be responding to contracts that come their way that are not really... The, you know, they don't believe are the best use of, of kind of, of, of government resources. Well, first of all, the idea that a large contract is going to save you is totally uh, un- unrealistic and untrue. Um, right. A big contract can actually take you down. If it's, I mean, the, what you have to look at an, a, for a contract is whether or not it covers the cost of doing the program. I completely agree that you should not be sidelined from your mission. You have to always put mission first and know. And I, I love the work that you do for that reason because it really makes nonprofits think about what work they're doing and what why were they created what is their board in it for yeah. uh, and to go back to that every time and to make decisions and when i talk about risk management yes of course we're talking about the finances but you also got to think about reputational risk and yeah. other types of risk and and i think that the questions you're raising are those types of risks that need to be considered as well yeah yeah i mean i think uh, and and we've discussed this a little bit before but i think what i would love to see is the nonprofit sector growing in confidence in its ability to push back a little bit yep. if they think the contract isn't the best? I contract. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's my dream, right? Um, well, but I, one of the recommendations actually is focused, and this really does have to be driven to some degree from government. But nonprofits need to push the conversation so this happens. Yes, they need the government needs to see that nonprofits are not willing to do the contracts as they're laid out in terms of money or even the approaches. Yeah. And so one of the recommendations really focuses on program design and bringing nonprofits more to the table in program design. Right now, it's a very prescriptive approach that government puts out, and then nonprofits respond to whether or not they can do that approach. Right. We should focus on the actual problem. So, and, sorry. Yeah, so we should, that's how, I feel like that's a better approach. Focus on the problem and, and solicit input from those on the ground. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I actually read a piece of research the other day that supports exactly that idea hmm. that you get more innovation, you get better results, and this was actually looking at kind of um, organisational behaviour research within an organisation when you you put the problem on the table but let people think creatively about the solutions as opposed to asking people to implement a particular solution. And that's what you're suggesting. Exactly. So tell me, in an ideal world, what would that process look like? So government identifies an issue. Let's talk about a specific issue to just kind of give it some resonance. What's something that would be topical for some of your members. I mean, homelessness, right? I mean, that's an issue that New York City is facing, other places are facing, and it's on, it seems to be one that everyone's struggling with. Yeah. Uh, I think the idea that you could do it two ways. One, you could, you could get agreement on what the outcomes are and just measure uh, for the outcome and say, this is, we want to, we want to, we're going to judge you based on whether or not you get this many people housed or et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that, and I think particularly with homelessness, and it's somewhat challenging, is that as a provider, you have limited uh, influence on the housing stock in New York City. So it can be that can definitely be a challenge, and that can be part of the issue. But so maybe you're measuring something else other than just stable housing, but um, some kind of moves forward for those individuals. But you can also do it in a way in which you solicit, the government solicits input from all of the providers, and then using that, that information comes up with a, a more prescriptive approach. Right. So, and I think in that world, how you could do it, 
We have this thing in New York City called HHS Accelerator. It's a system in which people are pre-qualified to do certain types of services. Yeah. So there's an easy way for them to email and, and contact all of the people that could potentially be in the pool to do this work, where they could bring them together and have focus groups to understand what they think their the best approaches might be, and then they could come up with a more prescriptive approach based on that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So there's sort of multiple ways of doing it. I think the, the extreme way of just sort of putting out, putting it out there and saying, this is what we're going to measure you on. I'm not sure the government's ready to jump to that. You might need to. You might exactly. Need to sort of it might build be incremental, right? And what's been the response? Have you had kind of engagement and conversations with the government agencies for whom this is most relevant? Yeah, I, there's a recognition, understanding that there that there this is an issue. Uh, it's very complicated for them to unravel the bureaucracy that 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 currently exists, and it's very siloed. Um, so I have not, you know, I don't, we did, we don't have, okay, now they're going to do these five things that are yeah. going to make the changes. There's definitely interest, um, a recognition, and I think it is going to take us to continue to push. I mean, that's why HSC exists, is to continue to push the envelope and create, I think we have to create the political context that, that makes this uh, important for them to do it at the highest levels of government. So you really need buy-in from the mayor, from the governor, uh, and that to get pushed down as a priority. Yeah, yeah. And do you feel like you're in the right trajectory? You're, you're... Yeah, I mean, I feel like, look, I think our sector traditionally has been not that great at playing the politics. Um, right. Honestly, I think that there's, a, and a part of the problem is what, going back to what I said earlier, there's a marketing problem. I think our sector isn't understood in general and how it works by the general public. We still have this sense that we are run by charity, and so we're primarily funded with philanthropic dollars, and it's not really seen as a professional type of service that's being done on behalf of government. And that's I think that that makes it harder for us to make our case publicly. But we are working on it, and I think we're telling the story more and more publicly. I mean, having podcasts like this, yeah. we've been in mainstream media, we were in the Wall Street Journal. Like, I think that we have more of the ability to connect what we do to the overall global competitiveness of New York, and that's the case we're, we're trying to make. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you this morning. Thanks Thank for having me. Thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing, and love to check in and see how things are going and how we're progressing in a few months' time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. been listening to Mission Control Podcast with Liana Downey, where we talk about how social sector leaders can take control, increase impact, and change the world. For more in the series, you can follow us at SoundCloud, on iTunes, or see our website at www.missioncontrolbook.com.